Let's all stand together at this time as we reverence the reading of God's Word. Oh, what a wonderful time in worship we've already had today. Uh, we're going to be looking in Deuteronomy chapter 9 at a message I call the danger of stubbornness. The danger of stubbornness. Deuteronomy chapter 9 and verse 4. Do not say in your heart after the Lord your God has driven them out before you. On account of my righteousness, the Lord has brought me in to possess the land. But it is because of the wickedness of these nations, the Lord is driving them out before you. It is not because of your righteousness or the uprightness of your heart that you enter to possess their land. But because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord your God drives them out before you. And that he may fulfill the word which the Lord swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Understand then. By the way, if you're counting, this is three times God said the same thing. Understand, therefore, that the Lord your God is not giving you this good land to possess on account of your righteousness. For you are a stubborn people. May God bless the reading of his word today is my prayer. You may be seated. Deuteronomy contains those last sermons that Moses preached. You'll remember the word Deuteronomy means second law. So it is at its core another proclamation of God's law for this new generation. Moses would preach these messages. Some suggest that it's all actually one message that he preached. And of course, there's no way for us to tell definitively, but I think it's probably messages. But I know when he was finished, when he finished this task, he would die and go on to glory. I remind you again this morning, as I told you last week, that uh, Moses was doing this because a new generation has come on the scene. Another generation has passed away. And you know, that's always happening. In the Lord's kingdom, there's always one generation that's passing and another generation that is coming on. And though your kids are born to Christian parents, the knowledge of God is not in their DNA. I always liked what the great evangelist Walter K. Ayers used to say. Uh, he said he had a litter of kittens born in a bread box in his garage, but that didn't make them biscuits. And <laughs> it, that was his way of saying that just because you're born to Christian parents doesn't make you a Christian. It's not in our DNA. We don't pass it along to our kids. It is knowledge then that they must accumulate on their own. They have to learn it. And as much as we'd like to be able to open up those precious little minds and pour it in there to them, we can't do it. They have to be willing. and They have to put forth that effort themselves. But as parents, it's our job to do everything we can to make sure they get as much as we can give them. We only have a short time, and those children will only have a short time to learn the great principles of our faith, and they're doing it in what is an increasingly hostile environment. With everything that happened to bring the children of Israel out of Egypt, and now all the things that were about to happen to bring them into the promised land, there is a very sad statement made at the death of Joshua, Moses' successor. It's found in Judges chapter 2 and verse 8. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died when he was 110 years old. 
And they buried him within the border of his inheritance at Timnath, Herez, in the mountains of Ephraim on the north side of Mount Gaash. When all that generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord, nor the work which he had done for Israel. That's a crushing passage. For all the great things that God had done, the great victories that they had wrought. There was that people, that people who were there in the audience that day who, who listened to Moses preach his last sermons, who heard the regiving of the law. They had lived all their life with uh, the manna from heaven as God fed them and led them then by the pillar of cloud. They never had to ask, is God with us? Because constantly before them was that reminder, the pillar of cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night, the presence of the glory of God then in the tabernacle lived all their life with that. But when that generation passed, that generation's children then raised up another generation that didn't know God. So that generation that Moses preached to, that won the victories of the promised land, their children knew the Lord. But after living in Canaan, for all of their lives, it was obviously far too easy for them to let that just kind of slide away. For those my age in the crowd today or older, it might be a good thing for all of us to ask, what kind of children are our children raising? If you've raised your children to know the Lord, God bless you. You've done what you should do. What kind of children are, are they raising? You see, it's one thing to raise kids in that environment where they're being fed by God and led by God, where they're isolated from all other influences. I mean, they didn't even have televisions, much less cell phones. I mean, they, all they had was the Lord and their family isolated, God feeding them, God leading them, seeing the wondrous works and presence of God every day. It's one thing to raise your children in that environment. It's a whole different story. To raise them in Canaan and surrounded by the Canaanites. Would they pass that test? No. They failed it. And their children paid a horrible price for it. Read the book of Judges. Their grandchildren even more so. Moses uses a significant part of his time then in these last messages to warn them about an issue that ultimately would be the cause of them moving so far away from God so quickly. Stubbornness. Stubbornness. The exceeding nature, you see, of the Canaanite people was what was going to move God to, to move in judgment against them. And, and so many of those peoples would be uh, moved out. Many of them would be killed out. And it was because of their wickedness. God told them over and over and over again, it's not because y'all are so right. It's because they're so wrong. And even then, in their hearts, they had a terrible spiritual problem. It was a case of stubbornness. Other translations call this stiff-necked. And if I had to say that a hundred times this morning, I'd probably get it mixed up. Stiff-necked. Uh, the MEV has it, as I read it today, stubbornness, stubbornness. All the way into the New Testament, this is a chronic problem. 
Stephen would deliver a masterful sermon before he became the first Christian martyr. In his conclusion, even as the crowd was rushing the podium to drag him outside the city and stone him to death, Stephen said this, you stiff-necked, that's that same word again, as you stiff-necked, stubborn and uncircumcised in heart and ears. You always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Which of your fathers, per, uh, the prophets, did your fathers not persecute? And they killed the one, those who foretold the coming of the just one, of whom you now have become the betrayers and murderers, who have received the law by the direction of angels and have not kept it. And then they rushed him and they killed him. It's not accidental and it's certainly not incidental that Stephen chose to bring these two things together. They were stiff-necked or stubborn. And he mentions that they were uncircumcised in heart. See, Moses did the exact same thing in this message. Because if we read on in Deuteronomy chapter 10 and verse 14, Moses said, Indeed, heaven and the highest heavens belong to the Lord your God, also the earth with all that is in it. It's a great thing for people to be reminded of. Amen. The heavens and the earth and everything in it belongs to the Lord. Amen. Amen. The Lord delighted, he says, only in your fathers to love them. And he chose their descendants after them. Even you above all people as it is today. Therefore, circumcise your heart and do not be stubborn anymore. Now, circumcision in the flesh was prescribed by God as a sign or symbol of the Abrahamic covenant. You find it all throughout the Bible. Uh, That's just the way it is. It involved the physical surgery on the male reproductive organ, as in fact it still does today. God gave the Jews this ordinance, but Moses calls them to something else. The circumcision of their hearts. This is a spiritual act. Not a physical act. The circumcision of their heart. And in fact, in Deuteronomy 36, he brings this up again. The Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants. To love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul so that you may live. So obviously Moses saw and we must see that there was something in their heart. Something that needed to be corrected. Something that God could deal with that then would enable them to love God with all their heart. Something wrong with their heart. And if you think, well, this is just some obscure Old Testament something, think again. Romans 2.28. Paul said, he is not a Jew who is one outwardly. Nor is circumcision that which is external in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly. And circumcision is of the heart by the spirit. And not by the letter. His praise is not from men, but from God. And so this circumcision of the heart that Moses talked about so long ago, now Paul is making obviously a very strong application of this toward our own salvation experience. So that just the outward form of circumcision that would identify them as being of the seed of Abraham, uh, that didn't change what was in their heart. 
Something else had to happen. Something had to happen on the inside. And that was something that could be done only by the Spirit of God. In fact, if you would read Jeremiah 4, we don't have time to go there today. But there came a time when God looked at all of his people and said, None of you have been circumcised in your hearts. Now, they had all been circumcised in the flesh, but they were all uncircumcised in heart. That's in Jeremiah 4. So there was something that should have happened on the inside that didn't happen. And something that happened to them on the outside didn't make up for it, so much so that Paul said, he is not a Jew who is one outwardly unless he is one inwardly because he has received then by the Spirit the circumcision of the heart. He would state this even more carefully in Colossians chapter 2 after he declared us to be complete in Christ. And he says in him that we are circumcised then with the, in Christ. We are circumcised with the circumcision not made by hands. That's in Colossians 2. So what I'm pointing out to you this morning is that this is all over the scriptures. From one end to the other. A circumcision of the heart. An internal work of the spirit. And Paul very obviously equates this with our salvation. So that when we are saved, of the many metaphors, of the many illustrations that are used in Scripture of our salvation, many different ways that it's described, one of the ways that it is described is that we have then in Christ received this spiritual circumcision. We have then a new heart. And that old part has been removed. And it enables us then to be right with God and to love God. But Moses, you see, went on to apply this to their ability to love God with all their hearts. And as a cure for their stubborn, hardened hearts. There's a tendency, even among believing people then, to let our hearts grow stubborn. Calloused would be a good word calloused and out of that then grows rebellion and the whole imagery of circumcision then as applies to the heart is designed to remove that part of our stubborn hardened hearts so that initially we can be right with God we have a new heart but then even as we go on in our spiritual lives it's possible for us to let our hearts grow hard Be hardened by stubbornness. We'll learn more about that. God went so far in Ezekiel 36 to talk about how that he was going to remove their stony hearts. How's that for a graphic image? God said, you've got a heart of stone. There are many people all over the world, and maybe some of you or some watching from home, that when it comes to God, your heart is as hard as a rock. It's like a stone. Paul would warn in Ephesians chapter 4 that it's possible for people to get to where they are past feeling. That is, they feel no shame. They've given themselves to all kinds of immorality. They feel no shame. They feel no remorse. They feel no conviction from the Spirit of God. They read the Bible, and it means nothing to them. They're past feeling. Why? Because their hearts are so, so hard. 
And so to put that in the context and go back as it was to the Jews of old and even the Jews in Jesus' day, there was circumcision, which was a ritual, a sign that was to remind them that they were set apart unto God. But just because they had that external symbol did not mean they were right with God. John the Baptist thundered that when their religious leaders, the scribes and Pharisees, came to him to be baptized. And he called them a brood of snakes. <laughs> That's vipers in the KJV. I like that too. Brood of vipers. <laughs> Poor old John the Baptist. He had such a hard time expressing himself so people could understand, you know. <laughs> brood of vipers. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Go and bring forth fruits, he said, meat for repentance. You see, they, they had the symbol. They had the ritual. They had all the rituals. They knew the law. They boasted of keeping the law. But they were not saved. And especially, they applied that to circumcision. Stephen had boldly preached the same message to them. This chronic problem, them of stubbornness, according to Stephen had afflicted the people of God throughout their history, culminating in that ultimate act of stubbornness, that ultimate act of rebellion, that ultimate act of resistance, that ultimate act of refusing God when they crucified their Messiah, Jesus Christ. Why? Because, make no mistake, they chose their ritual over their Redeemer. That's what they did. They knew exactly what Jesus was doing. They knew exactly what would happen if Jesus was right and allowed to be right. They knew. They chose their ritual over their Redeemer. Why? That was their stubbornness. Today, then, we'll consider this issue of stubbornness raised by Moses so long ago. It became such a terrible problem for God's people in the Old Testament. It continues even today. We're going to move quickly. First of all, what stubbornness is, we need to think about it. It's not just that common, everyday kind of stubbornness that uh, all men have. Amen. All men. Uh, a few women have it, but not many. But uh, we, none, certainly none that we know and none in the audience today. Uh, now, this, this is more than that. This stubbornness. Uh, I think is best seen in, in that scene with Stephen in Acts chapter 7 when he said, you're stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. You always resist. There it is, the Holy Spirit, as your fathers did, so do you. And then in verse 54, when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed at him with the teeth. But though they felt that incredible conviction as they listened to this preaching of this wonderful man of God, as it was empowered by the Spirit of God, they were cut to the heart. But did they go forward and get on their knees and cry out to God for mercy? No, they went forward and killed the preacher. That's what they did. You stiff-necked, stubborn, what are you doing? Resisting. The Holy Spirit's a very powerful imagery there, even though it's hard for me to say. Uh, if you think about a horse uh, that uh, must turn around, must turn, but that horse is resisting, it stiffens, hardens its neck, stiffens its neck. Uh, that, that horse becomes a danger to itself and to its owner. This is a lack of repentance. That's what this stubbornness is. 
It is a resisting of the work of the Holy Spirit. That's why the writer of the book of Hebrews told us not one time, not twice, but three times. Three times in the book of Hebrews. Today, if you hear his voice, harden not your hearts. You see, this is a stubbornness that in its very heart and by its very nature is resisting the Holy Spirit. It is rejecting the Word of God. It is hardening then ourselves against God and His work. A stubborn heart then is a hardened heart. That's what it is. What it does. What it is. What it does. Deuteronomy 9, 24. You've been rebellious against the Lord. Notice the verbs. We've been, you've been rebellious against the Lord, Moses said, from the day that I knew you. Thus I prostrated myself before the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. I kept prostrating myself because the Lord had said he would destroy you. Therefore I prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord God, do not destroy your people and your inheritance, whom you have redeemed through your greatness. Whom you have brought out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And do not look on the stubbornness of this people or their wickedness or their sin. Rebellious, stubbornness, wickedness, sin. Now the scene that Moses had brought up was that scene when he went up on the mountain and got the law of God. And, and Aaron, you remember, made the people a golden calf. And they began to worship that and party around it. Uh, you see, their hardness of heart, their stubbornness that had set into their hearts led them into terrible wickedness, and it did so very quickly. It's not like we had to wait 30 years for that to show up. They hadn't been gone from Egypt three months when that happened. And Moses was up there on the mountain with God interceding for them, begging God not to kill them all. At its worst, then, we can see that stubbornness sets in the hearts of religious people who, in whatever way, cling to some false religion, whether it was the religion of Egypt that the people were clinging to so long ago, or their religious rituals that they would be clinging to in Stephen's day, thinking that the circumcision in their flesh made them right with God, or whether it's today. Many people were baptized as a child, maybe confirmed as a preteen. You were given communion. And all of those things then you thought were going to make you right with God. Maybe you have felt the conviction of the Spirit as over and over again you've heard the gospel preached. That has told you that whosoever believeth on Jesus Christ should be saved. That whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And over and over again you've heard that the gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we call upon his name. And there is salvation in none other. And every time you've heard it, maybe you've heard, felt that conviction. But it's so easy to stubbornly cling something even though we know the Spirit of God is convicting us to turn away from it and it's not just folks who maybe have come from a more ritualistic kind of background you may have been raised in a Baptist church all your life and you may have gone forward as a, as a youngster and and maybe we're even baptized 
But you've sat there for years knowing, even as the Spirit has convicted you again and again and again, knowing that that experience was not genuine. It's easy to stubbornly cling to something, refusing to turn to God or follow Him in believer's baptism. That was what was happening and what continues to happen today. Stubbornness, stubbornness takes on many forms. But it has another common threat. And that's what Moses brings up in this passage. While he was up on the mountain receiving the Lord, uh, law from the Lord, and Aaron was making a golden calf for them to worship. And the mountain of God there was burning right in front of them with the presence of God. And there they were saying, well, we need to make us a new God. Stubbornness, you see, leads into the choice of sin and the practice of sin. And even the tenacious loving of sin rather than loathing it and refusing to turn from it. Remember our Lord Jesus Christ himself. And I I, I say this, folk, as gently as I can. But remember that our Lord Jesus Christ himself, Matthew chapter 24, as he was talking about the last days, the time that immediately preceded his coming. One of the things he warned us about is he said, because iniquity shall abound, the love of many wax cold and so you see this danger then that Moses is talking about and we sell the danger that goes through again it goes through all the way to Stephen Paul is talking about it still it's still there is is that people might just look at that ritual and they would not have the reality they might have some outward manifestation but that inward work of the spirit that changes their heart has not occurred and, and so that certainly is a problem as people then stubbornly cling to that outward manifestation, that outward ritual, even though they know they lack the inward reality and the conviction of the Spirit and the Word of God comes to them again and again and again. But there's something else going on too. Even among true believers. You see, sin may not have any other apparent consequence. Listen to me today. Sin may not have any other apparent consequence. But whenever we sin, however we sin, it always hardens our heart. It creates a callousness upon our heart. Jesus said it. That wherever iniquity abounds, love grows cold. That's a powerful figure. It's awful for a husband to be cold to his wife or for a wife to be cold to her husband. It's awful awful for children to be cold to their parents, cold-hearted. It's awful for parents to be cold to their children. It hurts even when it's a friend, a good friend. Certainly, suddenly turns cold to us. It hurts. It's awful. And we all know that pain too well. But that is nothing compared to when a believer grows cold to the God who saved them. Jesus would tell the church at Ephesus, You've left your first love. They were serving him. They were standing for the faith. But their hearts were cold to Jesus Christ. And he knew it. 
even if they were living in denial. He called them to immediate action. Repent. Therefore, from which thou hast fallen, and return, and do the first works. Oh, Lord, I, I, I know I'm, I'm not as in love with you as I should be. God, I, I know I've let my heart go cold. But look how much I'm doing. Isn't it okay? Mm -mm. You see, the first work is to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy strength. Stubbornness sets in among God's people. And yes, it can manifest itself in someone who stubbornly clings to their rituals and never really has the reality in their own heart. Yeah, that's, that's possible. But even after we're saved and genuinely saved, it is possible for us to allow sin to set in. And in stubbornness, we choose our sin. And our sin grows harder our heart grows harder and grows colder. Well, how do you get past it? Uh, Deuteronomy 10 and 12. Now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in his ways and to love him and to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes when I am commanding you today for your good. For your good. You see, the, the circumcision of the heart that Moses called them to was all about their ability to love God with all their hearts. Uh, that first of all, initially, of course, their hearts had to be changed by, by faith. People were saved in Moses' day by, by faith. They, by faith, were looking forward to the Messiah just as we look back upon him today. But they were still believing on the same Lord Jesus Christ. And so initially, at least, they needed that change of heart that comes only through the new birth. But we never outgrow that. As long as there is a possibility of sin in our life, and that's as long as we're alive on this side of eternity, as long as there's a possibility of sin, there's a possibility of our hearts growing hard, stubborn, resistant toward God and toward His work. And then that keeps us from doing the very first thing that God wants from us. And it's right here. What does the Lord your God require from you? What does he want? He wants us to love him. He certainly deserves it. Can we love him too much? No. To fear the Lord, to walk in his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, to keep his commandments. For your good. It makes us better people. It keeps us from harmful behavior that can kill us. And it all starts with our love for him. And the only reason for us to serve God, the only reason for us to obey God, is because we love God. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 8, And above all things have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sin. That's quoted from Proverbs 10, 12. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all sins. God wants us to love him. 
Thou shalt love the Lord. First commandment, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength. Well, because they were stubborn, wrapping it up the end today, Moses called them in Deuteronomy chapter 10 to circumcise their hearts. Because the essence of their stubbornness was that their hearts were hardened, calloused. But then in Deuteronomy chapter 30, Moses said, God will circumcise your hearts and that of your children. So it is obviously something that we must seek and that God must do. We must seek and God must do. If we refuse to repent and if we resist the work of the Holy Spirit, every time that happens, our hearts are calloused and hardened. So this whole thing is a figure. It's an illustration of how God removes that calloused, hardened part of our hearts. We repent. We return to Him. And our love for Him can flourish again. It doesn't matter how cold we get to God. We are toward God. God still loves us. God still loves us. You say, Brother Rich, how do you know that? Well, we know it in a variety of ways, not the least of which being the parable of the prodigal son. There was a son who'd grown cold to his father, but a father who was still looking for his return and rejoiced. When he came home. I'm going to close then. By reading Psalm 78. A portion of it. Not going to comment much on it. It doesn't require a lot of comment. You can just listen. Psalm 78 5. For he that's God. Established a rule in Jacob. And appointed a law in Israel. Which he commanded our fathers. That they should make them known to their children. That the generation to come might know them, even the children who are not yet born, who will arise and declare them to their children. That the generation to come might know them, that they, even the children who are not yet born, who will arise and declare them to their children. That they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. And that they might not be, as their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation. A generation that did not set their hearts steadfast and whose spirit was not faithful to God. One generation that gets right with God. Passes it to their children. Then to a generation yet unborn. Who will rise up and declare them to their children. And if you're counting, that's four generations. Who will love God and serve him rather than forgetting God and becoming stubborn and rebellious. You know what? That tells me there's hope for America. There's hope for our world. And it doesn't matter how many people that there are out there who have grown so hardened and so callous. Who have hearts of stone and and, and, and their, their, their hearts are just beyond feeling. But then there's children. And we can declare God's word to them and live it before them. And you never know when that next generation, when that seed, the powerful seed of the gospel, is going to take up then in that heart and change that next generation who can then change the next one and the next one. Four generations. Turn to God. 
And all because of people who admit, yeah, my heart is gone hard, a little cold toward God. And oh God, I need to get that right with you. And then pass it on to my children so that they would remember that our first responsibility never really changes. To love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy strength. Let's stand together, please.